This Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here with the full cast going on. I got Kyle Nash in the game. I got Stat Boy now, Drew, Andrew Bukov back with us. Jeff Sharon. We got Eric Lopez. We got a lot to talk about here as we uh, as we're now starting to ramp up the full spring. We got lots of hoops to talk about. Eric's got an interview with our main man, UCF's director of tennis, John Roddick. Eric always looks forward to that interview every year, as do I. Uh, and uh, we have other things to talk about, too. Track and field gun underway, guys. We got, uh, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and dive right in. We want to get this out to you as quickly as we can. Follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCFBanneret underscore SBN on Twitter, Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret as well. Don't forget Instagram and YouTube. Let's dive right in with your UCF men's basketball team, um, gentlemen. So here's the situation for the Knights after that. Unbelievable double overtime win uh, over Memphis. Uh, they go on the road 72 hours later against Tulane. And I thought this was almost kind of predictable. I'm surprised that they actually kept the game tight. They got off to a very slow start, fought back, ended up losing by 8, 69 at Devlin Fieldhouse to fall to 13-5 and five and 4-2 four and two in the conference overall. But here's what I think is the most important thing right now. That was on Saturday. They have another road game on Saturday, but it's at in Tampa against South Florida. Drew, you're not allowed to go. <laughs> uh, the uh, and uh, so, but you know, again, bus trip, so you're not jumping on a plane. Um, and you have a week off between that and that game, so a chance to get a little healthy to get to to recharge the batteries a tad. So I feel like they hadn't fully recharged after after Memphis. And then after that, this coming Wednesday, number one Houston comes into town. And Elo, let me begin with you. Am I kind of off base here with, you know, because that was a short rotation against Memphis and guys getting dragged off the floor. And, you know, and I thought like against Tulane, it was like, man, it's amazing they kept it that close. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we kind of foreshadowed this last week on the podcast. After that Memphis game, we knew energy could be a factor. And so, and of course, they dug themselves a hole. They're shorthanded as it is. Brandon Suggs gets two quick fouls, and that's the problem. People talk about, well, we have next man stand up. Well, that's great, except the next man up, if he has two fouls, then who Not a whole lot of next men. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, they go to P.J. Edwards. He he struggled. Uh, I thought Jalen Young had his worst game of the season, which, you know, hey, he's a human being. No, You know, they had to go to C.J. Kelly, and they dug themselves a hole against the Tulane team that is one of the few teams in college basketball that brought, brought back everybody from last year, which is rare in today's game. So, and Jalen and Forbes, their star player, is a great player. So they jumped on UCF. Ty Freeman, I thought, was fantastic. Led the comeback. Got within three. Yeah. But again, it just... Career they, high 22 for him in that game. And he's going to have to be 14. a big... And he's going to have to be a key factor moving forward because I just have questions about their front court. Uh, so, you know... They got beat at the free throw line. They didn't hit threes. A lot of their three misses were short, which tells you the legs weren't under, you know, were not 100%. Kind of like me, you and me, Jeff, right now. We're battling less than 100% in this game. <laughs> uh, that's why Kyle and Drew's going to carry us. But it, it, it was what it was. But Tulane's a pretty good team. People are flipping out about losing to Tulane. That is not a catastrophic loss. This weekend, though, that's a must win. Avoid losing. That would be my advice. But, uh, yeah, I think we the Tulane game pretty much yeah. uh, was what we thought. 
Well, Tulane, you know, 12 and six, five and two in the conference tied for second with Cincinnati and Temple right now. UCF's a half game back at four and two. You mentioned the must win coming up at South Florida. They're one and five in the conference right now and eight and 11 overall. And they're struggling as is usual. Kyle, what did you think? I mean, I, I, I you know, no DJ again. Right. And I'm curious, like, you know, what do you see as Johnny Dawkins's play here? Because. Yeah, Michael Durr's out, too. We don't know when he's going to be back, although they do expect him to be back. But it feels like that's, you know, that's still more like a three-week, three- to six-week thing, whereas DJ's injury is kind of a little bit more opaque. So do you, do, we, do you expect him to see – do you expect to see him against South Florida, or do you think maybe he hangs on to him until UCF plays Houston? So yeah, I think DJ in DJ's case it's a bit more tricky because um Jalen Young and, and let's pretend for a minute that Elo's right that this is his worst game. And I'm not saying you're wrong, Elo. Um, by the way, as a side note, if we're talking about worst games after coming up big like he did against Memphis, Ithiel Horton had a really tough outing. And this is that Tasmanian devil aspect that I'm talking about where he whirls around the court with great speed. And sometimes he's going to be a force. And sometimes he's just going to run into the rock and, you know, get the stars circling around his head. And then that's not a knock. He's a great player, but this is that streaky element with him that we've come to observe. But going back to DJ Jeff, because Jalen young overall has had a, a, a great season, full stop, surprising season, running this offense with DJ out, out of the wings, I think you're more likely to see Darius Johnson be how you say uh, floated or kept out or or, or uh, more um, what's his word uh, flexible in being brought back in. Where Michael Durr as the seventh V seven footer on the squad, they're going to need him sooner than later. I think so. He's going to be yeah. a much more essential piece to the puzzle. Hey Drew, when you let me get your take on it on things right now. I. I when you look at where UCF is in the standings, you know, right now, currently in fifth place, but you know, it's still early half game out of a three-way tie for second Houston, by the way, is first at six, no, 18 and one. And, you know, Houston, again, number one in the net, uh, UCF is the second highest team in the net from the American, but they are at 44th. They've dropped out of the thirties. They're now approaching that, that bubble 42 actually as of this morning okay yeah yeah, 42 so they got a two-spot boost here um but thank you eric um but there's still that's still bubble territory right now memphis is at 45 um where do you see this going right now because you know there's not a whole lot of opportunities left in the schedule to really bump that net and that houston game just got sort of a violent shove into important Considering that, you know, right now, you know, the only teams that are going to help UCF's net out are Memphis and Houston. Well, I when you first look at the standings, you, you talk about being fifth, but the truth is they're only half game back on, yeah. on a multitude of teams. So, I mean, there's still there's still a lot of, of, you know, play there, and it's not a big difference. Uh, you know, you look at, at, at the net, and the net's going to skew – every day it's going to move up it's going to move down and and you know it, they don't even have to play it it's still going to move uh but you're right they, they only have two teams that are in the top 50 left uh, uh and there's there's memphis and there, there's houston obviously houston number one if they could somehow steal that game at home and play out of their freaking minds that'll go a long way i here's the truth ucf was never going to be anything better than a bubble team you know 
UCF has has largely redefined itself. Last year was kind of a mishmash of players. Uh, this year it was uh, players with more defined roles, maybe not as much uh, potential star power, but a better cohesive team. And, and as you can see, teamwork can can you know override overall star power. You were about to say can make the dream work, weren't you? No, actually, no, it wasn't. Um, I don't believe you for one second. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> I you, you think what you want, uh, but you know, you, you look at you look at the the followings, the, the remaining schedule. Obviously, Houston's the big one uh, next week, but you have a lot of of games. You can all call them, you, you can call uh, USF this Saturday a trap game. It's the game right before oh, this again. Oh. oh Remember what happened last year? What happened? They got crushed. I mean, absolutely destroyed. We know that you know about it. Uh, Yeah, I I got to sit and watch now. Now, You'll be happy to know. This is why we're banning you from going. Well, I wasn't wasn't planning on going to that game anyway. In fact, Trace Trollco actually asked me if I was going to go and hang out with them. And I said, (laughs) you know, for a variety of reasons, I I wasn't planning on going. Um, So what that's code for is Trace bribed him not to go. No, so, he wanted me to go. He wanted me to to kind of give him a little sandy in insane arena. Uh, you know, he, that. now that yeah, one, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's impossible. That one I did make up. Uh, Does he not remember how bad last year's game was? Holy yeah, man. but I was I was the part that kept him from probably fighting a fan or something. I mean, he was ready to go completely, wow. you know, postal. And I'm just sitting there, this big smile on my face, just. Because it, it got to the point where you couldn't even be mad. You just had to kind of enjoy how everything missed on one side and everything went in on the other. It's like, yeah, I couldn't help but laugh at it. But I, I, he he was into it. I, I get it. He was into well, it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. That game cost last year's team about 15, 20 spots in the net. Yeah, and basically it torpedoed their postseason chances. Well, that, yeah, I that, they're going to torpe- torpedo it anyway that last year. They, they just that, – that team just did not – Right, yeah, that I mean, was the there, there, there was there was you, you could probably say they had a, a pretty good outside shot at an NIT, and I think the season probably plays out a little bit differently if they win that game. Yeah, you know, but but, that, but that's the point. They've got to win this game. It's not because yeah. you're going to get a benefit of the resume. It's because this could torpedo your net like this. Right. It, it, they're one seventy two South Florida in the net, and historically UCF hasn't played well in that building for whatever the reason. Played well in that build. Uh, I know you brought it up earlier about whether Darius, you know, should Darius play or not. Look, if he's ready to go, he needs to play this game. Because if you lose this game, now you're on a two-game losing streak with potentially the number one ranked team in the country coming to your place the following Wednesday. So and it, they're it, not the worst team that UCF's going to see the correct. remainder of the year. They played right. Tulsa twice. Oh, and Tulsa uh, play, they play they play ECU too. But yeah, you mentioned Tulsa. That Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah. Two ninety six in in the boy, net. Are we, I mean, are we not set? Are we not setting that one up for? I mean, again, uh, freaking Tulsa. Uh, oh, I wasn't going to say nothing. But, but yeah, I, we cannot ignore the the fact that uh, that this is a disaster waiting to happen. Now, the good news is the first matchup on February eleventh is going to be at home. It's the space game. UCF tends to do well in these space games. Uh, that that tends to play towards them. But the second, no, third last game of the year on the road at Tulsa. I don't, uh, don't, don't bet on that game. That's, that's a very, do that's not a bet very, on that game. 
that's a very problematic uh, place on the schedule there, too. And listen, why I sympathize with Elo's observation of, you know, Darius needs to play now. Again, I don't think that's the weakness here of the team, even with him out. Granted, I'd always love to have Darius Johnson in. He's a fantastic player, and he's fun to talk to afterwards, whether win or lose. But the punchline is this. Where this lineup is most flexible right now is between the two point guards. Um, I have a I have a thought on that. You know, ahead, uh, if he's kind of borderline, you know, eighty percent, you just want to, you know, put him in the in case of emergency break glass situation. Yeah, warm him up, dress yeah. him up, put him it, in the it, back it, of the bench. I, I, again, I, you cannot lose this game, so you can't mess around. Uh, if he can play, he plays. And here's where I disagree with you, Kyle. By having Darius available, it allows you to play Kelly more at the two guard. So if Ethel Horton is having an off night like he did against. Tulane, you have other options to go there. But if if you don't play, if you don't have Darius available, and look, let me paraphrase. He's, I want him healthy. I don't want him playing at you know injured, right? right? So I don't want to make it sound right. But if he's close, like I'm not one of those that's like, oh, he's healthy, but let's save him for Houston. No, no, no. Oh, you got to put. Right, you got to play if, if he's healthy. He's you're saying, because, yeah, what you're saying, if he's healthy, he goes because this team needs bodies, they need bodies, and Darius knows how to run the offense, and it just gives you more flexibility that you need desperately, uh, on your team. Otherwise, you're kind of hamstrung, you're, you're betting on guys to have not having off nights, uh, because the front court is a mess. Uh, Johnny Dawkins on his radio show even mentioned that he's probably going to play more of the freshman Tierno inside. Uh, as a pos- to try to stretch, you know, stretch out the court a little bit. So they're trying to. I think the staff's trying to figure out still what to do with the loss of Durr, who might not be back till at some point in February. They hope, and obviously the CJ Walker injury out for the year. I think they're still yeah. they're trying to figure out what the lineup works best. Su- and it might depend on the opponent. They're suddenly forced to play small. And and, and, and here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm looking back to the schedule. I love the site that you sent me, Eric, bracketologists.com. Mm-hmm. Urge everybody to check it out. Um, you got a quad one win against Oklahoma State. You got the two-point loss in a quad two game against Miami. That one hurts. Um, quad one loss in, uh, to Mizzou. Oh, man, they could have really used that one, except for that freaking buzzer beater at the end. That was nuts. Um Here's at least as of right now, you have two quad one games left Houston at home and then at Memphis. You have one quad two game left, and that's at Cincinnati on February 4th. All right. The rest are all quad threes. And you actually finish with one, two, three, let's see, four of your last seven in our quad four games the two against Tulsa. Uh, one against ECU, and then the, the home game against South Florida, as it stands right now. Um, by the way, they are not getting any help whatsoever from Florida State. Thank you very much. He's now dropped down to two. Yeah, I mean Leonard's having his. Yeah, he's having his worst oh year. Yeah, having the worst that's year. A, that's a quad four win. Now the good news is nothing for you basically. The one year, the one year uh, right. that you need to win, right? The one year. Um, if it was full strength, that may not have been the win. That's the part we got to remember. That front court at FSU was decimated. Let's no, they've been decimated all year. That's why they've had this bad year. Yeah. But uh, you're not yeah. expecting FSU to, to come to come no. rolling in at 207 in the no. net, right? No, you're, not, you're right. No, you're but right. They, they left games on the court. You know, Miami and Missouri, they left those on the court. Right. Yeah. I mean, Missouri was a lucky banker, like near half court. Robert Ori looks at that and says, "That was some lucky bleep." Okay. That's <laughs> you know what? They still, they still had, they should have won that game. 
and they didn't. It doesn't matter if it was lucky or not. They didn't. And and they well, here's what I, I don't know if they should have won. I don't know if they should have, but I will say they did. That's one that could haunt them. To your point, those two games particularly can haunt you, could keep you from NCAA to NIT. By the way, it's the NIT websites. I only bring this up because Jeffrey's on the show. One of the NIT projected mock uh, projections has UCF as a one seed Look hosting out. Syracuse. Uh-oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> all of a sudden, Jeff wants his Mr. Met this the tournament all of a sudden. Now I'm paying attention. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's like, I want them to fail and fail gloriously. Can you imagine Jim Bayheim at City Financial Arena and Jeff Caught announcing it? And now the head coach at Syracuse, Jim Bayheim. The head coach of the Orange is Jim Bayheim. <laughs> I can see, I can see the tear of joy rolling that, down. Hey, let me tell you he's something. Gonna, he's gonna go fanboy hey, on it. We all know hey, it. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You're gonna, you've indulged me. Now I'm gonna continue to indulge. Please. If you could, you imagine if UCF plays Syracuse in the NIT in 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 Addition Financial Arena and beat Syracuse, that could be Jim Bayheim's final game. Ooh. Look at this guy. Now, He's already got the storyline built. Here, here's the thing you were talking about, Eric. You were talking about one of the bracketology on, on the resource nexus.com. They have bracketology. Not only is UCF a number one seat, but they're the number one seat. So they have them currently as number one like, overall. The the number one overall in, in the NIT at this juncture, which basically means you're the you know the top of the losing bracket. Uh, it's, uh, y'all oh, talking about websites. See, I'm over here at menswarehouse.com trying to find Jeff an orange tie for that game. But by the way, I don't, I don't you know, need one. Thank you very time much. Last time a coach or or some sort of uh, affiliated person wore the wrong colored tie, they ended up uh, leaving oh, mid game. I am not, not wearing an orange tie to that game or but an orange have shirt. Have it in his backpack for after the game. Now, <laughs> I'm wearing I'm wearing my UCF socks. I'm wearing my you know usual. I might wear my you know you know gold ensemble shorts. No, 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 no. <laughs> By the way, all this is to point out, now, this is an I example. Might have, I might have, a, you know, a couple of oh, alumni boy. lapel pins. Oh, jeez. Well, all right, we're not going to get into that. Each, whole you know, on either I, side. I would say ban him for if he brings wow. anything of Syracuse related. Ban him. We're getting not allowed in the building. This is related quickly. I didn't mean for that to happen. Man, Look I, what you did, Kyle. But Look at you here. brought this upon yourself. But here's the point. Here's the point we're all bringing up. Because I do want to get ahead of this, because I know this will be a topic eventually. If this team doesn't make the NCAA's but makes the NIT and host games, I still think it's a successful season. Because last oh, yeah. I checked, nobody ever thought this team could make me a postseason team. And for this program that has only made the NCAA tournament once since leaving the A Sun in two thousand five, I don't think we're a program that should be talking like, "Oh, we should be in the NCAA." We don't have that history. We're not Kentucky. We're not a blue blood Duke. Uh, so. Hopefully, not even a green blood. I there, there's very there's no history there, right? And you won what in the, the world would that be? But you won and, in the land of the losers. I'm afraid it was a low, low major conference, right? But that's but and Jeff read it. Part of the problem is the conference this year is down. Trust me, we won't have to ever say the word quad three or quad four conference games anymore after this year. <laughs> um, so next year, uh, so look. But he, South Florida, I really, they have to win this game to keep their postseason up, you know, be in the mix for the postseason. I just want to say postseason. I don't want to say NCAA because if you say NCAA exclusively, then people are going to be disappointed. I don't think that's right. I think postseason is the goal. And then obviously you have 
could potentially have the biggest home game, regular season game ever next Wednesday, where you would have for the first time ever the number one ranked team in the country coming to your place. So you want to win this South Florida game and carry that momentum to Houston, what I think will be the largest crowd maybe we've had in a couple of years, maybe since uh, 2019. Uh, hopefully they, you can, might be right. they can market it properly. Wow. Now, I, you know, I think Trace was more annoyed last year just sitting with Drew more than the Listen. basketball game. I mean, that's clear now. Listen, I'm going to defend the Trace. The number one team in the country does not need to be marketed. Right. Okay. Uh, this is this is Houston. This is number one. You know, I, I, I think, Eric, you're 100% right. You got to handle South Florida Saturday at noon. That game will be on ESPNU, by the way. By the way, the Houston game is set for ESPN+. Plus. Wow. Coaches well, versus cancer that, night. I'm I'm remember it's all done prior to the season. You know, that all those all those setups is, is prior to the year. And you still surprised was not an attractive, you know, going into the season. We we just talked about it. They they've had no real postseason hopes in a number of years. Uh, they just weren't really attractive. And now they've been surprisingly good, but the TV things have already been selected. They can't flex that, Eric. They don't. They they flex later in the year with the bracket busters. They don't do it this early. The problem is too. The game's on a Wednesday night, as you know. ESPN carries NBA on Wednesday night. Yeah. Plus, uh, they have Australian Open tennis coverage uh, this week and next week, so that fills up a lot of slots. I think if this oh, game was a yeah, two- forgot about that. We'll get more about Australian <laughs> Open later. His face. We have John oh, Roddick. We have John Roddick on the show later on, ladies and gentlemen. Talk some tennis. Um. But no, I think if this game was a Thursday or Tuesday, it probably would get a better. It would have gotten a linear slot. But Drew's right. Drew's right. like we're not like again. We're not a blue blood. This is not a marquee game as far as nationally is concerned. Now, and I think people are you know nobody knew if UCF would be good or not. So I, I understand that. Well, like let's look at at the schedule uh, on on TV. You have yes, you have college on ESPN two, South Carolina, Florida. Florida's been a major disappointment. Uh, and then you have West Virginia at Texas Tech on ESPNU, and well, it's Big Twelve, which means it's pretty good. Uh, That's not the other thing. Yeah. By the way, by the way, next year Jeffrey won't have to worry about it because we'll be on linear a few yeah. more times. Well, here's here's I, I just you know look I I understand UCF world right, but we have the game at South Florida on ESPNU. Okay, the Houston game, ESPN Plus. The following game for UCF at home against Temple is on ESPNU. On a weekend, though. Saturday, there's more slots. I get it. And plus, I mean, it's, it's good. just the way it works it's, out. It's, yeah. I, you're right. It just, it's just it's hilarious how it works. Number one team in the country. I mean, That's more, more reason for people to go to the game. Fair point. Fair point. We'll be there. Go. Well, Drew but won't be. First well, things be. first. First things first. Handle. Yeah. No. USF. Handle. Right. USF. All right. Uh, I want to flip over to the uh, women's side uh, real quick as they you know, finally got off the schneid in conference play, uh, beating Wichita State 59-56 on Sunday. Two days later against uh, Tulane, though, on Tuesday, uh, they fall by 14, uh, 64-50. to They go to South Florida on Sunday at 2 p.m. on ESPNU um, in a game that is going to be – a, a, a tough one. Let's just let's just be upfront about that right now. And Kyle, um, the way the standings at least are working out right now. I mean, we you know we know that this team is you know having a hard time in conference, 
They're one and four in the league, even though they're 10 and seven overall. Um, it's, they just seem to be, it started with the injuries early in the season and they could, right. and they could, their schedule was enabling them to look, get past that. Right. But now it's coming back to hurt them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we mentioned the Wichita, you mentioned the Wichita State game there. By the way, Destiny Thomas with a, uh, a, a career day with 24 points. And at that point, that's the 15th game of the season, right? Eighth double double. That's right, folks. At that point, Destiny Thomas has more games with a double double than without. That should tell you everything you need to know about the impact she has on the team and why her getting into foul trouble against Tulane was a lot of the reason the continuity was a problem, right? So over and above, and listen, I love Nate Hutton. She makes her presence known down low, but coach told me herself that when Destiny misses significant time like that, the continuity still suffers at this point. She said to me, you know, that there was a lot of, there's still a lot of concerns with trying to get all that right, trying to find that chemistry, trying to get these pairings and personnel in the right place. Because say what you will about having a good core when they're hurt, and things start, you know, start going wrong. I mean, that third quarter alone, 20 to six that they gave up, it was just continuity issues all over the place there too. They panicked point blank. Yeah. Third, the third quarter. I mean, the third quarter, Kyle, that's mm -hmm. been the issue, right? Then that, that would, I mean, it seems like every game third yep. quarter, they get, it just, they get blitzed. Any theories? It's the opposite of Any last year. Rationale. Right. Because right. well, last year, well, yeah, but I mean, like last yeah. year they would start yeah. slow, remember? And last couple of years they would start slow. And then the third quarter was when they would outscore the other team like 18 to four. Uh, but last year, I think, I mean, right. Last year's team was a, dare I say, battle tested team, Kyle, whereas this team is brand new still, right? They haven't battled together have for a long period of time. They haven't battled as a team together is the piece. These players in general, granted, you have a few freshmen in there. Sierra Godbolt's amazing. Brianna Hardy has had an excellent contribution for a freshman. She started enough. Both of them, I should say, have started their portion of games and had excellent performances. But th this chemistry element, I think, is huge, right? We had COVID chemistry is what I'm going to call it. Teams that had extra time together because they got that extra year together. Goodness only knows how they're doing in Georgia with that chemistry at this point. But at any rate, the punchline's this. This group had to be thrown together because of transfers and all that and minimal time together, which was also disrupted. And I think that's the point that, you know, Coach Messer keeps bringing up. We're going to get it together once everybody has more time together. And and I, I, there's just a lot there. I mean, not to say there's not an element of frustration. You know, uh, Layla Jewett herself, uh, as, as the one who got the scoring go going, the early surge again, you know, off her hitting some threes, it felt like in the third quarter around that time in the second half that there's somebody put a lid on the basket, was her wording. And, and just uh, there... The panic kind of sets in, and I think that's where your battle-tested concept comes into play, Eric. Somebody makes an adjustment typically after halftime, right? So when they see that, the uh, ability to counter the adjustment, so to speak, uh, is something that this group is still trying to to muster. By, by the fourth quarter, they were able to sort of right the ship and, and be competitive again, but it was too little too late. That, that third quarter uh, delivers too great a blow in some of these games, certainly the losses, right? That's why they're one and four in the conference. Yeah. Um, Eric, South Florida coming up. 
they're you know it, Jose just keeps keeps this 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 train rolling, man. Seventeen and four, six and zero. Um, and, and by the way, let's give a shout out to the Tulsa Golden Hurricane right now this season, who's in second place at fifteen and three and five and zero in the conference. Right. But uh, but man, I, I, this is going to be a tall tall task, and not just based on the fact that you know they're good and UCF is kind of struggling right now with a net of one fifty three, but uh, if I know anything, if, if you and I certainly know anything about Jose, is that he's out for blood? Oh yeah, time around. Oh yeah, uh, and they're going to be ready for us. So what? What is UCF? Their net is thirty five. By the way, what does UCF have to do to at least keep this thing reasonable? It's a great question because. You know, the beauty of the past was you had contrasting styles. So yeah. you would limit USF's three-point shooting because he loves to shoot the three-point shooting uh, big time. But this team is a little different. I don't think you can get into an up-court, uh, up-tempo game with South Florida. I think you got to out-rebound them. you got to dominate the boards. And that's one thing this team can do is dominate the boards, give yourself some second chances, hold USF to one and done from a possession standpoint because they're going to shoot a lot of perimeter shots in South Florida. So... Uh, Kyle, to me, that's what it's going to be, right? Try to be more physical than South Florida. That's when UCF's had success against them. But this is the best team in the league. This is a top 25 quality USF team. And trust me, they have circled this date uh, for, you know, for payback from last year. It's just from the, it's a rivalry. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this rivalry continues moving forward. I think it will, but we don't know that officially. We don't know that for a fact. But, this is a big game for South Florida, and I think they've circled this game for sure on a on a Sunday of the uh, the traditional. They usually play on a Sunday uh, during NFL playoff. So this has been the last one is conference in Tampa. So uh, that's the thing about about UCF that they have going for them is they are deceptively physical. If you look at the way they chuck it from the cheap seats from beyond the arc in a lot of games, you would think that they're not that disciplined uh, uh, as far as being down low. But Destiny Thomas is amazing. We already know that. <clears throat> but Nay Hutton and what she does, listen, the, the juxtaposition to Charles, Charles Barkley is based in some reality. She will mess around and do some battle there down low. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm not I'm not here to tell you it's uh, it's uh, Mass Kappa and um, and Brittany Smith, but it's one could argue that Nay Hutton is more physical than Brittany in that mind, right? Try that Horace Grant and Dennis Rodman comparison if you want an, an old school NBA uh, uh, heads point of view on it. So from that from that particular standpoint, I'm not worried about the physicality in the front court. I'm worried about the guard play. I'm worried about them making fewer mistakes because we know the guard play, the backcourt for USF, they get in there on defense too. And listen, to UCF's credit, Rachel Ranky will mess around and grab some boards. Maya Burns will do her share, just like she did. Listen, maybe UCF lost the game to Tulane, but Maya Burns had stats all over the sheets, recording blocks, steals, rebounds, second-best rebounder in the game from the guard position over and above leading the team in scoring with Destiny Thomas limited by foul trouble. So they can be that kind of versatility. The physicality, honestly, isn't where I'm worried. It's controlling the backcourt of USF where I think they're going to struggle. And it makes sense. That's where most of their injury holes are right now, right? Well, USF, and USF has the best 
but in the league, and I will defer to Jeff on the pronunciation. He is the yes, they're all the, and a professional uh, public address it. announcer, and he, I will defer to him on PA and anyway. So, but they got three great players, as Jose likes to go international. But you're right, USF strong backcourt averages nearly seven threes a game, shooting 36% from the three point line. Keep that in mind. And they've got a bruiser inside that averages 12 boards a game, which again, I'll defer to Jeff on his professionalism on, 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 on pronouncing their names. Well, are you talking about Elena Tsineki? That's the point guard. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, let's see. And, and then Dulce Fanca Mendi- Mengiadi. <laughs> there you go. That's the bruiser. Yep, yeah. Mengiadi so. was a force last year, too. I definitely remember him uh, raising her own cane, cane, so to speak. And 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 her and Moscama battling was a sight to see. Uh, her, her and Destiny would tie up. I mean, it, it's listen, her versus Destiny. Give me my popcorn. All right. There you go. Yeah, I mean the, way, the, but- the truth is, you know, it's it's USF and a bunch of also rans. Uh, this is this is not a good conference this year. This is a one big. Woo! This is a this is a one. <laughs> How you really big, feel, Drew? Look at look at <laughs> Drew <laughs> throwing away the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. You mean the 80th ranked in the net Tulsa Golden Hurricane? Woo! Hey, Captain Buzzkill, I'm trying to hype up a game that you're banned from, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep keep expectations in place. We knew that UCF was going to have growing pains, adjusting, basically starting almost completely from scratch. And you're seeing that uh, not much in the depth. You know, they they got through uh, uh, a relatively easy out-of-conference schedule. And, and, you know, as we know, conference schedules, man, they, you go through the, the rigors of that. It's tough. It's tough. You're, you're, you know, guys, can, uh, you know, the people get beat up and, and, and things happen. You get cold. And, and we saw what happened with the lack of depth against Tulane, where there was just no one else to really bring in to, to kind of hit the reset button. Uh, as a result, uh, you know, the team just, just went cold. And uh, so, I mean, the expectation is, is shouldn't be high. It should be tempered. You know, this is all about laying groundwork, building a new foundation. Sure. Uh, a heart, you know, the physicality part is a great start of the foundation. Obviously, the finesse of scoring is it, it comes a little bit later, but I mean, and they do bruiser. have some of that, Drew. I think I think we would be remiss if we were going to completely ignore the concept that Destiny Thomas has been completely innovated into a complete player, the likes of which Destiny Thomas of this year would completely whoop up and wipe the floor with Destiny Thomas of last year. That evolution is starting to happen. Yeah. And to your point, I I think from a big picture standpoint, you're absolutely correct. And perhaps a bit nicer way to put it isn't so much that everybody's as bunch of also rans as it is. UCF is an odd or USF rather is an odds on favorite. I think that's the way to put it. Because in this instance, and listen, you as a guy who is a Browner on a regular basis in the NFL (laughs) are aware of divisional physics being a thing in the AFC North with rivalry. I think this particular game has that concept where you just don't know what's going to happen. But to your point on paper, yeah, USF is is definitely a force beyond reckoning. Well, I mean, it's also the rest of the conference as a whole. Uh, Correct. It's it's just you know the American is just not a strong. Drew's already out to the Big Twelve. He's he's done with the American. Yeah. He, he's not shaking Mike Oresco's hand. The suitcase you know. is, already. Is Drew, mail it in. The the Randy Quaid and Major League Award for the week. Like you know. <laughs> no no that's you permanently because how often do you fit that bill? 
Actually, no, if the, I may, the reason why that award is perfect for you, Drew, is that does reference the Cleveland Indians. I'm throwing it. <laughs> it does. It does. And, and you know, even people back home in Cleveland still slip and call it the Indians. I'm just going to, uh, we, we should get, we should get Drew a hat, turn it inside out and just Sharpie the word no on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, just, but I'm not the naysay. You and Eric <laughs> are the naysayers of this crew. I'm just calling what it how I see it about. I, I'm calling how I, I, we you two argue like an old married couple. In fairness, I'm not moved in together. Where's, uh, where's my but I mean, here's truth: the second best team in the net is Memphis at 72. I'm not disagreeing. By the way, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm I, just, I, you know, I get it. I, I just, here's here's why I think you make a good point about you is like, look, do what you're supposed to do well. Don't get you know, all caught up in, you know, like weather the storm, rebound the ball well, and build yourself some confidence heading in, you know, heading focus into the next, on the or, or heading into the, or heading into the next meeting with them. I think that's the other thing. Just you're focus play on the twice, fundamentals. So, uh, rebounding the ball well is something they nail. So they do have yeah, that. I would they have, have that, they have that advantage and, 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 you know, hopefully get some good shots, you know, and don't let them, and I, and I think Desto above everybody knows like that playbook from the last couple of years of playing on Coach A. Don't get caught in their game. Don't don't play the track meet, right? Um, slow it down. So, uh, again, we'll have coverage of that game for you as well as the uh, men's team coming up, South Florida, those two games. Uh, and then, boy, we get ready for Wednesday night, UCF against uh, Houston. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Eric Lopez has a special presentation for us. He and Bryson Turner Get caught up on tennis, UCF tennis. Last go round in the American, John Roddick, who has experience in the Big 12, mind you, uh, from his time at Oklahoma, previous to UCF, uh, joins the show to talk about, uh, to talk UCF tennis with uh, Eric and Bryson and get you caught up on that team as they get ready to make one last run in the American here before they move up as well. Some really interesting things to hear from. Uh, Coach Roddick in that interview. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. In us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret alongside Bryson Turner. I'm Eric Lopez, is the director of tennis and the head coach of the men's tennis program at UCF. Speak of John Roddick, back with us here. Uh, coach, good to talk to you once again. How you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Good. How has the fall gone? Obviously, you got some new faces, some returners uh, from a young roster. What, what's, what was the fall like for you? Yeah, it was. We had a good fall. I mean, uh, the guys worked really hard. Listen, we had some good results. Um, you know, a lot of improvement that that you can that you can see. You know, we have a, a UTR where they, they they give you kind of a rating. It'll it'll move up or down, and so we had a lot of progress um, according to our UTR, which we also saw and and felt like uh, we were we were improving. So that's always nice to see the actual data going the right direction. Um, so it was good. I mean, we we you know we had fun. I mean, last year we had a tough year and learning experience, had some problems um, that we normally don't have on our team. And so, you know, this, this fall was, uh, you know, uh, just a, you know, a little bit refreshing where we were in more about tennis and, and improving and, um, you know, trying to be the best players we can be on the court. And so that was, uh, you know, we had a, we had a great fall and it was a fun fall. What was it you take away from last year? You mentioned it was a, t- you play a tough schedule, some tough results that just did the ball didn't bounce your way. Young roster. Cause you know, from the previous year where you had that incredible run where you hosted, won the conference championship. What do you take away uh, going into this year? Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know about like, you know, what you're taking away. I think it's that feeling, you know, that guys don't want to go through that again. And so some of the things that we stress, and even when we had the, the great years, uh, you know, that, well, unfortunately the pandemic year, we were, we were really rolling too. And then, um, and then in 2021. And so, you know, I, you know, I kept stressing the teams. There were a few things that I, that I didn't like, even though we were having the results that we, we wanted and, and we were hitting all of our goals. Um, you know, and, and I think as, you know, with, with a little bit of a drop in talent level with the camps turning pro, um, you know, and some other guys not playing last year, it, you know, that, that those kind of things start showing up. So, um, you know, I think there was a little bit of a learning, learning process and understanding that, you know, coaches just aren't on you just to be on you, that the, the things we're talking about actually, you know, at, at some point will likely matter. And I think that's what, what we learned last year. We talk. We mentioned. We talk about that young roster coach. You, of course, have three for, true freshmen coming in listed on the roster right now, and I'm sure there. I believe you meant, we, we mentioned before we start recording that there are a few more. What do you like about this new crop of freshmen, and how and who do you think we could see a lot of going into this season? Well, I think you know what I like is that we've the, the guys that are here that were here this fall really set the tone as far as what we're doing. So. Um, the, the new faces coming in January, they have to hit the ground running, but they're coming into, um, you know, a, you know, a practice arena where guys are, are doing the right things, you know, and, and like I stressed before, we, we went the right way. Um, whether those guys that w- improved are going to make the lineup or not, you know, we, we have a lot of decisions to make over the next two weeks, um, and that's how fast we have to make them. Um, you know, I like, you know, we, we have Yassine Delimi coming in, and, and he looks like he's one of the best recruits in the country overall coming in. Um, you know, probably one of the top five recruits that I know of coming in. So, you know, I expect him to make a, a huge impact. We're waiting on some eligibility things with one of them um, just to see, you know, where, where, if he's going to play this year, if he's going to have to sit out. Um, you know, so we, we still have some question marks, but I think we're, we're going the right direction. I think the new guys are going to feel that. And if they, they come in and just blend in with what we're doing, then, um, you know, we have a chance to have a really good year. You bring back Quinn Snyder and Cooper and Cooper White. You know they're still listed as under underclassmen. What improvement have you seen from them over the course of this fall, and what kind of improvements do you think we could see out of them this time around? Yeah, Quinn, Quinn was one that I was alluding to uh, with the team improving. He had a huge jump with his UTR uh, from August till now. Um, you know he started winning a lot more matches, and I think that's you, you learn to win by winning. I'm not a huge believer in. You learn to lose by you, you learn to win by losing. You can learn something from a loss, but winning's a habit. And um, you know, Quinn started to win two out of three, three out of four matches. And in tennis, that's that's kind of the goal uh, when you really start making progress as far as understanding how to work your way through matches. Because it's you know, we don't have a clock. You you have to finish the match, and they're going to make adjustments until the very end. And you know, you have to be able to finish the match. And if somebody makes an adjustment late in the second or third set, you have to be able to do something to um, to still get to the finish line. And, and Quinn's. I think took a big step in learning that this fall. So, you know, and Cooper played the best tournament that he had, you know, since he's been at UCF at regionals, he won his first round and then um, ended up losing to a, a player that ended up in the semifinals or the finals. I can't remember. Uh, and he had a match point in, in that match actually. So um, his level was the highest that I had seen uh, really since his time here. So both of them have a chance to, you know, to be solid contributors, whether it's singles or doubles, but they're, they're definitely trending the right direction for us. You mentioned obviously win losses. That's the ultimate, you know, deciding factor when you've seen a player, you know, develop and learn. But 
there are other you know things you could see signs of a player turning the corner. I remember in the past when we've talked about Gabe DeCamps, for example, and when you saw him turn that corner and turn out to be a top 10 player and arguably the greatest singles tennis player in the history of UCF. What are, as a coach, when you see young players early on, what are some of the things you look at, either at practice or things that you see signs of that you're looking for? Yeah, I mean, there's all different ways, and, and every player is different, whether it's mental. You know, for, for DeCamps, you could always see the baseline game was – was going to be there. Um, you know, the two things he had to really work on um, that were that were harder was, was his serve and then his mental game. You know, he could let, you know, like the, the bench at Kroon, the, the type of player that I just described with, with bench at Kroon would drive Gabe crazy. And, you know, he, did, he started doing a better job of relaxing, you know, letting those matches be long, letting the points be long because they're just, you know, they're making it that way. And so, it, you know, it's like slowing down a football game or something like that when, you know, the, the other team's keeping the offense off the field. It's just one of those slow games. And, and, you know, that's what drove drove him nuts. He didn't like to play slow. He wanted to play fast and play big and, you know, rip from the baseline and, and the points sometimes be a little shorter. But he had the ability to play long points as well. And so once he relaxed and realized that that was okay, you know, that's when you start seeing him, you know, turn the corner and, and not press. And so that was, you know, we, we knew the whole time that Gabe was going to be one of the best players in the country. You know, we're just – trying to hope and make sure that it's earlier rather than not right at the very end. And then he turns pro or we lose him to eligibility. Um, you know, he runs out his, his uh, eligibility clock. So, you know, for us, he started really coming around his sophomore year and, you know, was one of the best players for two and a half, three years in the, in the nation. So that was, you know, and that's what we want to see. I think Delimi has another, you know, he's another player that um, is going to be in that same mold as, as Gabe. He can, he can play with the, all the best players in the country right now. And, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, the, the mental side of it is, is, is addressed early because that's going to be the biggest challenge for, for a lot of these guys that are trying to play at that level. It's very, very taxing upstairs to, to play at that level. I know Gabe uh, is going to try to play professionally and everything. Fans have asked me, like, how is he doing? What's the status? And what, what can you tell us about how Gabe's doing? And what, what do you tell players that want to go pro, that want to play in that professional level? You've been there. You've been in that life. Yeah. You know what it takes at the highest level. What do you, what's the advice you usually give the young players that want to go pro? Yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, number one, a lot of people want to do it when they're not ready. And you, you have, you can't live in this false reality. Um, you know, if you're, if you're the number 50 junior in the world, you're not close. You know, maybe the number one or two or three guys, maybe they're close. I mean, maybe and they're not always close. It depends on the year. Um, you know, so you really have to be realistic because in our game, unfortunately, you don't really make money until you're top 150 or so. And so, you know, it, that's, that's the hard part. And so if it was a different sport, say it's football or, you know, baseball, I use an example. If you're top 1,900 players in the world, you're going to be on a major league roster or an NFL team, and you're going to be making money. Our sport doesn't operate that way. And you got to be elite of the elite. And, you know, and so that's, that's what I try to make sure that, that people understand. And it's a, it's expensive to get there. You know, we're like golf, like you pay your own way. There's no, there's no free lunch until you get a, you know, until you sign a, a racket deal or a clothing deal. But even then, they're not going to do that until you're top hundred or a can't miss junior prospect. And so it's it's a, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's it, everyone wants to do it, and and but it's that's that's the problem. It's everybody wants to do it, so it's hard. Um, you know, and, and you know, the answer the first part of your question was how's Gabe doing? He's he's doing well. He's gotten up to two sixty five, uh, which is an incredibly high level. He's done well in challengers, which is the the level right below the the tour, um, you know, he, he's right on the verge of getting the qualities of the Grand Slams, which is where he'll start making some money. So, um, so he's he's right there. But he, he actually called me yesterday, and he you know he's talking about how tough it is out there. Uh, you know, it's a grind, it's mental, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, 
you know, so that's, that's what I try to tell you. The reality is you, you don't break through quickly a lot of times and you, and you gotta, um, you know, you've gotta be patient with yourself and you gotta deal with failure because you're going to have bad tournaments. Um, and then when you have a good tournament that next year, when those points fall off, if you, if you lose first round, you're going to lose all those points. And if you start thinking about that and thinking, worrying about, Oh, I'm losing points. I get you, you're, you're done. You can't think that way. You just have to go play good, good tennis and, the points will take care of themselves. You know, like when I was traveling with Andy, my brother, you know, there wasn't one time where we ever discussed, Oh, well, you have so many points coming off this week. It's like, no, let's go try to win this week. You know, let's try to be in the semifinals, quarterfinals and, and have a good showing and, and see if we can win the tournament, you know? And so that was the mentality that we, that we had. And it wasn't defending points. I mean, you play defense, you're, you're out there, you're going to have problems. You know, there's, there's always another tournament. You can always adjust your schedule a little bit. If you had a bad week, maybe you pick up a week that you weren't going to play. Um, you know, so it's just that you, know, you balance it and figure it out, but that's, that's the reality of the tours. You have to be, you know, the elite of the elite to make a living. And that's what I try to make sure players understand. And that's why I think college is so important because, you know, you can, you can be a great player in our sport and never, you know, make really any money playing it. And so I try to really impress upon the, the, the players and the kids, like when they come in to not just get a degree that maybe doesn't serve them well, you know, to try to do something useful with the degree so that way when they decide that they want to stop they can you know hop into the the, the business world or get into coaching or whatever they want to do but, but just make sure they've um you know taken the proper steps because they're here you know so you may as well put that little extra bit of effort and time into you know getting something that's going to help you later on you know coach speaking of you and your and andy i, I watched this little movie a couple years back called king richard and during a scene when uh they when the williams sisters were around were shown rick Monty's facility i heard a certain name come up did you guys have you by any chance seen that movie yet and what did you kind of yeah know? i did i yeah i did and I, I i didn't know um about it and so when they did the premiere um, my phone started blowing up and I, and I didn't even know it was coming out. I don't, I, I'm not a huge movie goer. I knew about the movie and, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's going to be pretty cool. That's right. When I was there. And so that, that was a special time. I mean, we, we all knew that the Williams sisters were going to be, you know, unbelievable. I mean, you never know if they're going to be two of the greatest of all time, which they certainly are, but, um, we knew they were going to probably win grand slams and be top 10 in the world and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, Rick was portrayed very well in the movie. That's a lot of, you know, how he was. I mean, we all loved playing for him and, you know, being coached by him. He had a ton of energy. Um, he was real, you know, he, he balanced the professional side with the coaching and, you know, and that, that world is, it, it was, you know, I'd say that movie was probably 80%, 85% dead on. And, um, you know, so I, but I didn't know they were going to, you know, it's funny. They said three names in there and, and, and mine was one of them. And the other two were, you know, good friends of mine probably to this day. And, um, so we were, we were talking about it laughing, but, you know, we look back and, and you kind of knew when you were there that that was a special time and a special thing to be around because there was probably 10 or 15 players that, that made it as, as pros. And so, um, you know, it was a, it was a fun place and, and there's a lot of energy there. And that, I'd say that was kind of the heyday of junior development and academies and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I had to beg my parents to let me go there for six months without them before they moved to Florida. I mean, that was, that was a big deal. <laughs> Uh, for us. And I was just like, please, like, you'll be there in May because they, they were going to move to South Florida. And that's where the, where Rick was actually moving. And so I, I begged and begged and begged. And finally they just said, I think they just got tired of listening to me. They said, fine, go. And, um, but it, it was a neat, it was a neat time. And that, that movie was, was, it was unbelievably well done. 
Yeah, I was as soon as when I was watching it, I just heard her. I when I heard your name, it's like, wait a minute, that name sounds familiar. When I checked it, I was like, oh my gosh, he's the UCF. Yeah. Well, so, what, what, what is that? What is that like? You're you're looking at it, watching the movie. Your name pops up. Is it like what what what's your like goes through your mind? Is your name literally popped up now? Are people in the movies, your your name is referenced in a, mo- yeah. a successful movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's your personality, and then so Rick, you know, when they were talking with Rick about the movie and, and who all was there. And obviously I think Andy, you know, being there, um, but, but you really, you know, like I was there when the Williams, you know, were, were, I actually, the, the movie had it backwards. It's one thing where they were already there when I got there. Um, so I don't know when exactly, you know, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they've got there like six months before. So some of those little timeline things were, were like that, but that's what it was like walking through there. I mean, you would see the best players in the country. I mean, we had, you know, the top, 10 player, just an American player. I mean, forget about the international player at the time. It was, you know, the top 10 players in the 16 under and the 18 and under, 10 of them. So 50% of them were, were training there. And then you throw in the, the girls' side was the same. And then you throw in, you know, that Jennifer Capriotti would, you know, had been there and in and out. And the Williams sisters and Andrea Yeager, who ended up, you know, getting hurt, which was tragic that, that she couldn't uh, play. She was top 10 in the world. We had Kareem Alami from Morocco, who beat Sampras at the Australian Open. Christian Rude whose son just got to the finals of the U.S. Open. Um, so he was there. So it was just a – Vince Spade was top 20 in the world. So it was just, you know, every – there's so many people there. And even people that weren't there full-time, the, the people that came in there when they needed a place to train when they were in Florida or coming to the U.S., I mean, it was just a, a revolving door of, you know, between Ricks and then and Nick Boletarius, who just passed away a couple weeks ago, I believe, three weeks ago maybe. Um, right. You know, between Nick's place and Rick's place, I mean, you – you know, basically everyone would come through there at some point for some reason. And so it was, a, you know, just in Florida in general, and, and Florida's still that way to a point. But, man, the, those two places back then in the late 80s and early 90s were, were really neat. If, you, if you're a tennis lover, that was the place to go hang out. It really was. How, you mentioned it, you even mentioned it a minute or two ago, how it's changed now. Tell us a little bit how, this, how it's changed now in the sport overall as far as developing young players back then when you were you know, around that group to now – uh, maybe the last handful of years? How, how much has it changed? Yeah, I think it's gotten more private, so smaller. So in those big group settings, I, I still believe they work because when you're around kids like that and, and you know, it, it takes a little bit to get going with that, but parents seem to want to have just all the attention. You know, well, I want to have the attention from somebody who's good, even if it's not that much attention. I want to make sure I'm learning the right things. And so I think we've lost our way a little bit you know, where you'll get these guys doing it and maybe they're not the best ones to, you know, help guys become world-class or even, you know, collegiate All-American, you know, that, that type level where people have a chance to make it. And so, um, you, know, I, you know, I was around a pretty big group and I never felt like we were ignored. And, and you know, I think it's a good thing. I mean, you have to go out and earn your way every day and that's what you have to do in, in, in tournaments anyways. And, you know, so I think it was a, a great environment, but I think it's just gotten smaller. So you don't, you know, and people don't want to practice with each other. I don't want to play a practice match. You know, it's just, we just played. I mean, we just, you know, roll the balls out and we knew the day of the week if we were playing sets or we're doing drills and we just played, you know? And I mean, you really look back at all these practice matches. I don't remember winning one and losing one or who we beat or who I lost to and, you know, all that. And, you know, I'm sure at the time you're all caught up into that, but, you know, you, it just, the competition was so good and, and you were in this, you know, you're always being pushed, whether it's from someone that wasn't as good as you that was coming up or you're trying to, chase the other guys or you get to the top and you're starting to you know play out on the tour so you know i I think that 
that environment can be very good, but um, people just want the individual thing. And I, I, I don't think that's best for the, for the players, for the, especially for teenagers. They need that social aspect and camaraderie and, you know, joking around. And it's just, it's much easier to do really difficult things and train really hard when you're doing it as a group. Um, it's just, that's why college teams are great. It's a great size. You know, we'll have 10 players and that's a great size to, to do that stuff. So um, hopefully we trend back the other way, but I, I don't see that changing, unfortunately. Uh, of course, you look at the schedule, another challenging schedule, unique to you're hosting the conference tournament this year at the USTA Center. The NCAAs will be also held there. Your thoughts on the schedule and obviously, once again, hosting the conference yeah. championships. Yeah, I didn't know if the American was going to let us host. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's that's a, it, it says a lot about the, the facility and the, the, the ease of playing there as teams. I mean, that place was set up to host tournaments like that. And, you know, the coaches all voted the, to keep it there um, for this year because the coach, you know, as coaches, we like to go to places where it's easy. Uh, you know, your routines are easy, whatever you want. There's always courts. And so, you know, the, the hotels are great down there. So, you know, we were we were fortunate to be able to keep it. I think also if you're going to play the NCAAs there too, it's not a bad to, to, to have a, a run through the conference tournament then turn around and come back to the same place for NCAAs, whether it's the singles tournament, the team, or – you know, whatever it is you make. So that's, that's also, I think why they, they wanted to do that. Obviously we wanted to host and cause I think when we go into the big 12, we're likely at the back of the line. That's the way when I was at Oklahoma, that's the way it worked. And so uh, coming in, I can't imagine that we're going to host the conference tournament too soon, unless, you know, because it is such a great place to host. And if we host NCAs again, then, then, you know, we will probably end up hosting it. But um, you know, so I knew for us, we, if we got skipped this time, we were going to have a little bit of a wait before we even hosted the conference again. And so, um, you know, in the American, we were hosting it every other year, which was for us was awesome. Um, it's just a great venue to, to do it. So we're we're excited to be hosting both of them. And, um, you know, thank the American for for working with it and, and, you know, doing what the coaches wanted to do. I think that that's that says a lot about them. Trust me, just show them photos, videos of the of the facilities and the big 12 coaches. I have a feeling will change their mind. Heck, I'm sure the American kind of would still would like to like, hey, look, we'll let you host. Can you just let us host down the road, even though you're not in the league anymore? Because it's that yeah. special of a place uh, yeah. for there. I, I, I'm curious, too, as you transition into the big 12, you're the director of tennis. So obviously you have a lot of hats uh, that you wear. How is that? process going from your not only from the men's tennis side but obviously you work with brian on the women's side just that it you know he joked we've talked to him he joked that you know you're you're gonna give him all the dinner reservations of all the big 12 places since you know that league inside out but take us through that process of you know from a tennis program standpoint in that in the transition process yeah you know for the tennis or you know really any sport i think you know just the level is going to be higher. I mean, if you're, you know, I knew when I went into Oklahoma that if we were going to win the conference, we would have to be competing for national championships too. And that's what we were able to do. And so I understand the level that we're going into, um, you know, for us on the men's side, TCU and Baylor, perennial top five, top 10 teams. Um, you know, UT has been there. OU, you know, has been there, dropped off maybe a little bit, but with us coming in, I think, you know, we can keep that league in the same spot from a tennis standpoint, Oklahoma state, is going to, is going to be really good. Um, in the next few years, they, had, they were, took some lumps last year with being young, but, um, you know, to, to win that conference and it's not going to change. I mean, you see TCU in the national championship of football, you know, to win the conference, you need to be, you know, you basically need to be top 10 in the country. Um, you know, I don't know in tennis, a team ever outside the top 10 has won the conference. I, I would highly doubt it. Um, so that's just the, the benchmark. And, and that's why we want to go in the conference in the first place. Um, so, you know, so that's part of it. Now, the women's is a little different because they have more teams because the North 
a lot of the northern schools in the 90s dropped their men's tennis programs unfortunately and they haven't they haven't brought them back so um his schedule is going to look a little different than ours um they'll have a, a much beefier you know more filled up conference schedule than we do but um the level is still the same i mean you know i've seen the big 12 i've seen years where the team that finished last in the big 12 was ranked 23 in the nation um out of six teams so that's what we were facing every every weekend and then at the conference tournament and and you know, so that's what we have to look for. I mean, that's why when we were recruiting, we had, we had a player that we know is a good player, and he he might have to sit out a year on the front end, but we wanted him. So when we entered the Big 12, that's what we had. You know, and so that was the thought process on recruiting. We had a lot of – and we knew we had three other guys coming in, and like, well, if we need to do this, we need to do this um, because you, you don't find guys at that level that often. So, um, so that's, you know, the mentality that we're taking and, you know, definitely want to – win this conference on the way out, but we were definitely looking towards the future in that first year because, you know, if we're, if we're 35 in the nation, 40 in the country, I mean, and you go into the big 12 and do that, we're going to get, we're going to get walked all over. Um, you know, every team there is typically a tournament team. Um, and so that's what we're, you know, it's, it's a little bit like men's basketball, you know, where it's just really strong top to bottom. And if you slip up at all, you're not winning games. I mean, I've seen teams 23 in the country go, go winless in the conference and still make the tournament. You know, that's how that's how tough it is. And I know that sounds so weird when you say it out loud that teams do that, but but that's the way it is. You know, no, so we, we yeah, so we know that and so we that's what we gotta get ready for. And and it's a, that's exciting. I mean, we're gonna attract that level of recruit too when you're playing that way. And we're in Florida, which uh, I think recruiting in the Big Twelve that, that has to help us and help our cause a little bit. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, the Big 12 basketball is a great example you brought up. I mean, every night, there's no nights off. I mean, it's, yeah. it's quality high level, uh, and it's the same in tennis. So I, it's a great comparison you made there. The biggest thing you want your team to get out of this season? Well, I think, you know, going into the Big 12, I, I want to just create that, that winning habit again. We had that going, and then we stumbled last year. And so um, just getting the, that habit of winning and expecting to win, not getting too excited if you beat a team that's 30 in the country. That's a good win. You know, that's a very good win. I'm not discounting at all. I mean, sometimes we've been at that ranking. and But we want to expect that and, and have that be, you know, just kind of business-like. And you go out and take care of business and, and win that match and go on to the next one. You know, that's not what we should be getting excited about. That's what we are supposed to be doing. So that's, you know, that's the mentality we want to develop as we move through this year. And I think we, you know, going back to your first question about the fall, you know, I think we moved into that mentality now we just have to go out and, and finish those matches and, and with a w and so that's that's the idea you know i think it's a it's a really good test and i think that's what we want to build it's just you know a certain level of expectation like this is where we're going to be and then at the end of the season is that you get in the later rounds of either the conference tournament or the ncaa you know let's try to win something now so you know that's that's what we want to do well, we're going to be excited uh, before you know it. The season's here. I mean, at all levels, Australian Open's going to get underway. Your co college season, the spring gets underway, Coach. Always exciting to see your program. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time. I know it's a super busy time, uh, but we always enjoy uh, having you on when we can, and uh, we look forward to seeing you out there at the USDA Center. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoy coming on. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Andrew Blukov. Eric Lopez, Kyle Nash with you. Uh, real quick, while we wrap up here, Eric, your UCF softball team is just getting all kinds of numbers put back, put next to their names here. <laughs> 15th in the D1 softball preseason top 25. Yep. Picked first in the American in the preseason poll. Uh, obviously, I know this is considered justified, certainly. 
Um, can they live up to those expectations as we begin? It's a great question. I mean, obviously coming off the historic year last year, uh, the, the bar super for the pro, I are going to get a lot of football treatment. And what I mean by that football treatment is, remember 2017, UCF goes undefeated. What What's happened since? The expectations for football skyrocketed. I think it's the same way with softball now. And, and we'll get into this more as we get closer to the softball season. The bar is super high with softball, and, and I am curious. I think from a position standpoint, no doubt. They have Jada Cody, who's ranked among the best players in the country. Uh, offensively, they're stacked. They have two top 25 recruiting classes They've added to this roster. The big question is pitching. They're young. They're talented, but young, not experienced. That's where you, you wonder, is this team maybe the expectations? You kind of tame it down a little bit from a pitching standpoint. But the good news is, from a conference standpoint, everybody lost pitching in the American. So everybody's young pitching-wise in the American. So we'll see. One question for you, because I know we talked about this earlier, but when they start the schedule, they go, they're, they're at home. Georgia, UMass, Boise State, Ohio State. I don't think yep. it's fair. Like, let's say, okay, they play Georgia in the first game. I mean, if they lose this game, I don't think that that's necessarily a good, a good or bad indication one way or the other because Georgia's really good. We know that, obviously. Correct. Um, yeah. So let's just take those first four games in particular. Season starts February 9th on a Thursday. If they get through that stretch, what? Two and two, three and one. Are you thinking, okay, this is this is a team that's going that that should yeah, they're fine. notwithstanding I, yeah, the yeah. expectations? Correct. Yeah, I, I agreed. And don't get caught up in the early results. Remember last year? Remember we did the podcast when they went to ESPN Clearwater and they went two and four, and it's like, hey, is there a reason well, to be concerned? They beat like, Georgia no. in that walk-off on that for, on the first They beat night, Georgia in the like, walk-off oh opening. <laughs> right. So I think we gotta be patient with this team. You gotta think big picture later in the year. The big thing is how does the pitching sort itself out? That's what you're looking for. But, yeah, you're playing one of the toughest conference uh, schedules in the country. I would say, you know, we, we had John Roddick, talking John Roddick and tennis about getting ready for the Big 12. Softball is one of the other few UCF programs that's, in a way, is already preparing itself for the Big 12 because this is what life in the Big 12 is going to be is you're playing tough competition. And I think Coach Ball Malone already knows that by her philosophy of scheduling. They're going to be ready for the Big 12 from that standpoint. So uh, it's going to be a fun team. Georgia, you mentioned, is a World Series sleeper team this year. So that's a yeah. monster opening night game. And then Boise State is where she coached, came from. So that's going to be a storyline. And then Ohio State, Andrew Glukoff's Buckeyes, Lady Buckeyes, have their hitting coach, Whitney Jones, who was here at UCF. So you got that storyline. Drew, you're driving up for that game, right? I know you are. <laughs> you want to throw out the first pitch, Drew? I can, on, try, I can make some. I can talk to some. Make people. it happen. That's a lot of pressure, man. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> when's the, oh, let's be honest, Drew. When's your next opportunity to throw out the first pitch at any sort of event? Come on. Um, wow. See, a quarter pass, never. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> take the opportunity when Drew's waiting for itself. Clearwater. Drew's waiting you miss for when 100% go to of the shots you don't take, Drew. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Our, uh, There's the guy who who, who uh, is, is stuck with the duality of Syracuse and and UCF. Oh hey, wow! I I took hey, I ro I rolled the dice on my grad school application 15 years ago and it came up and I came up sixes. So I I'll, I'll take it anytime you want. All right, uh, track and field. It's Renaya Jones and a Sarah Col and a Sarah Collins season already. They opened up uh, the Jimmy Carnes Invitational in Gainesville. Uh, the two of them won three events. 
Uh, Jones uh, picked up her fourth uh, AAC Track Athlete of the Week award yet again. Um, she won the uh, let's see, what she, she won the sixty meter hurdles at eight point two nine, and or, or, or Renaya did, uh, and uh, and then won in the finals with an eight point two one. Uh, she also won the 224.49 and Ashera took home her first field athlete of the week award after winning the triple jump with a, with a, uh, with a mark of 42 feet, five and a half inches. Could you imagine taking three steps and traveling 42 feet? Like I take three steps and I pull my hamstring trying to get out the, trying to get out of my office. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy now. So congrats to them. Track and fields underway. All right. One last little bit of news before we go away. Our Bryson Turner uh, did a little uh, black and gold banneret investigation um, on uh, is the cannon coming back to UCF? Well, the, he was with the army ROTC uh, unit over by the softball field uh, earlier this week when, the, as they wheeled out the, some of us who were old hats remember the old cannon in the citrus bowl that would fire off whenever UCF scored. Um, that thing was loud, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, they wheeled it out of the garage for the first time in 18 years and tested it and test fired it a couple of times and it went perfectly well. Um, there is a rumor flying around that they might be bringing back the cannon for football next year on UCF touchdowns. Now this has been met with, I would say mostly positive, although in general mixed reaction on, according to UCF Twitter, but I'll throw it open to you three guys and, and, uh, and Kyle, you being uh, one of two former marching knights who was around this era, uh, yay or nay on the pirate, on the additional pyrotechnics. Uh, listen, I'm cool with bringing the cannon back, but I'm not going to lie. Every time that beast went off on the field that no matter how used to it, you got, I still jumped that thing. Yeah. That, I mean, we knew it was coming in the citrus bowl and it's still like rattled the windows. I mean, in, in the press box up there, that, that, that thing was whew. sorry, Susan <laughs> drew all the more reason for it to go through. Screw Susan. <laughs> Eric, Eric, you you seem to be the vanguard of uh, of tradition. I, where are you on this? I remember that thing being loud, man. I was that freaked me out. Now, it was no joke, man. In fairness, uh, that was at the Citrus Bowl, and let's just say it, uh, it wasn't a packed house. So that probably contributed to that as well. So whereas kind of echo around up there is what you're saying. There you go. Uh, <laughs> whereas here at the bounce house, I would like to think that will not be an issue. So maybe it won't be as loud. Blast those students. I could go. I could go either way. I like the blast from the past there a little bit, but I also know that I got spooked and freaked out. Now you like that? See, that Kyle picked up on that. I saw uh, what you did there. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, but I also kind of like, yeah, I kind of freak out too, like. I don't know. Are people going to freak out if they hear a big shot? Like, you know, I mean, what? What's going on? You know, I, that's my only concern. Well, but, well listen, know, we're know. probably going to have if it let's see if this does come to pass, I would imagine that they would have your friendly neighborhood public address announcer making it out. Who's that? The thing. Like, uh, you know, just just beware after UCF after UCF scores, you may have, uh, you know, be, beware the cannon. It's kind of loud. Beware the cannon. As beware, a side beware note. the beware the boom. 
Beware the Jabberwock, oh. my son. Well, that's that's the bit. Well, see, that's the bigger question, Jeffrey. Does this mean you have to come up with some uh, liners to present it? Boom! Oh, Is there going to get some boomer? Listen, they... we are the we are the capital of boom. All right, there's no doubt. Uh, by the way, with Colton Boomer, I mean that's yes. <laughs> that's just a hard yes right there. I, I mean, boom, right? It's boom. You're walking to a place called the Bounce House, and now you're gonna get freaked I, out by a loud noise. I mean, I will on, say, people. I will say this: there's it's, gonna be it's a, lot a multi-sensory of- experience. You know what do you? <laughs> I will say there is gonna be a lot of pressure on whoever's in charge of like launching that because you don't want to do that prematurely either. Mm, uh, so fair. that is, you know what I'm saying? Especially when oh, a kicker is gonna go for kick right themselves. Thank you. But look, in fairness. <laughs> The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Drew knows this, do this in the NFL games when they get into the red zone. They fire the cannon. So this is not it. it not the same. They don't, yeah, they do it. They do it. They don't even score. And they right. and they, they fire so, one yeah. when you get into the red zone, and they fire three for a field goal, six for a touchdown, and one more for an extra point. Look at Drew. See, we would know. See, all right, UCF. Go pr- call Drew Glukov. He'll guide you to this. This this could work. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited now. Now that Drew's pr- presented this, I'm all in. Let's do it. I think I think in addition to touchdowns, like every time that we get a recruit commitment, you know, um, what to coincide with with Coach Malzahn's boom tweet, they need to just fire that cannon off the top of the building. Does that mean we have to leave Bryson out there like all day until and just monitor the? Like if the, there's the, a boom, the we would just need to watch for Susan's complaints yeah. on the police band. We'll be fine. Wow! Did she yeah. finally move away? <laughs> and, get, and rid rid ourselves of her nimbiness. Just keep keep an eye on keep an eye on uh, on you know the next door app uh, for the latest on uh, on UCF's boomage. All right, uh, hey, huge thanks to John Roddick for coming on the show today. Really appreciate him previewing UCF tennis. Eric, good job by you. Yeah, yeah me and Bryson. Check out Bryson's uh, previews of men's and women's tennis. It's on the YouTube channel. We also have an interview with Brian Kanyeko on the YouTube channel. Tennis season's underway. Dana Boone interview that Bryson did with track and field, which yep. Jeff mentioned earlier. So we are the only place, folks, where we taught, we will break down every UCF sport. We'll get you ready in season. Softball will get going. Baseball's going to get going. We cover it all here at UCF. That, this is why you're, you are, this is the place to go as a UCF fan. Did you just say, here comes the boon, Eric? I did. Here comes the boon. There you go. Very good, Kyle. Very good. All Start right. It. Get used to it, Drew. Get used to it. Uh, I know. God. I know. He's got I'm in on the dad joke with Kyle. You, on this you have no right. You have dropped some stinkers in your own day there, Browner. Okay, take it easy. Hey, just because the team I grew up with uh, is known for laying stinky turds on the field does not mean <laughs> all right I all right jeff's good way to end the show there all Jeffrey. Right. on that note thank you to andrew glukov step with you on twitter kyle nash the so teaching on twitter for the student of the game thanks to it's bryson turner on twitter as well eric lopez elo jeff underscore sharon ucf banner underscore sbn we're also on facebook instagram and youtube make sure you subscribe to us there and uh, leave us a rating on this podcast wherever you listen to them. Android, Apple, you name it, we are there. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the NFL playoffs. Playoff Gabe Davis making a return once again. Got a touchdown against uh, against Eric Lopez's Dolphins. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, whatever. Let's move on. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Go not. Go. go ahead. Well, the, the Bills have moved on, but hey, at least we can move playoff Gabe the rest of the way. On behalf of all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon. Enjoy the weekend. Go Knights, Charge on. See you next week.